The reading from Exodus 21 through 21. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for, Lord, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do no, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not cover covered your neighbor's house, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thickness, to the thick darkness where God was. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together as we stand. Almighty Father, it is our desire That we might be a people who, when we pray, um, we're not just um, doing a religious-y sort of thing. Um, it is our desire that when we pray, that we're not just enunciating simply stuff we want. We don't want it just to be about us. We want to be a people who, when we pray, we find ourselves speaking truly to you. That we might be a people who really know you that we might be a people who really know your name. And we want to hear your voice and to walk with you and to be deeply transformed by you. And so, Father, um, we can't work that up. We're not going to try. But we ask that you would bring that down and that you would invade us, invade our hearts, invade our minds, in, uh, break into our lives and make us yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Uh, and it's helpful if you turn back to page nine. We're continuing our series in uh, the book of Exodus, and more specifically, the Ten Commandments. 
Uh, and today we're looking at the third commandment. Uh, it's in verse 7. It's quite short. It says this, uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Uh, there it is. Uh, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Now, curious, what is it that comes to your mind when you think about that? If you didn't grow up in church, maybe nothing. But if you did grow up in church, uh, you can tell me later if, if, if this is true. It, if you did grow up in church, this is part of the reason you were taught alternative expletives. Do you know what I mean? Um, this is why in your home you were allowed to say maybe, gosh darn it, but not the thing you really wanted to say. Uh, and, or maybe you never even connected that there was another version of that, but eventually I'm sure you put it together. Um, but you were taught, uh, if, if you grew up in church, alternative expletives. And the reason for that is that uh, Christians don't want to use the Lord's name as an expletive or in terms of profanity. And we all know that that happens quite a lot. Um, and it's not just us. It's not just Christians uh, who have taken this very seriously. In fact, not, not even close. Um, the Jewish community, long before we ever started coming up with uh, alternative expletives, um, the Jewish community actually, because of this command, stopped enunciating the Lord's name altogether. If you look at the text, you'll notice uh, that, that the word Lord is in all capital letters very often. Um, and that signifies uh, that it's that in the Hebrew, it's, it's this very particular name. We're going to talk about it in a few minutes. Um, the very particular name that only Israel used for God, that God revealed to Moses. But the Jewish community actually was so concerned not to misuse this very special name for God that they stopped enunciating it altogether. And in fact, to this day, we do not really know how to pronounce that Hebrew word. Uh, we we kind of guess uh, Yahweh. You have, Christians used to pronounce it Jehovah, but we're not exactly sure how it's pronounced because uh, not a, because uh, the Jewish community came up with alternative uh, terms for the name of God because they were so concerned about this. Now, if you don't come from a Christian community, or even if you do, there's a huge risk as we come to this commandment. And here's the risk. The risk is that out of all the Ten Commandments, this one can sound almost petty. If you were raised to think that the main way you keep this commandment is just by um, using alternative expletives, then, man, this is just not going... You're, there's going to be something in you, I think, or maybe this is just me, that just kind of says, really, out of all the commandments that could possibly make it into the top ten list, this one does it? Why? And then I could imagine somebody else kind of thinking, well, wait, 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 this is weird. D does God seriously want to be known as, like, you know, he who must not be named, that's somebody else. You know, that's a different book. Um, what, what, do you see the point? What's going on here? Why are we so concerned about this? Um, and, and, and part of the reason I, I sort of make fun of it just a little bit is, is I want to say take that sense and that fear that this might be petty or a little thing. Please, will you suspend that assessment for a few minutes? 
And the reason I want to ask you to suspend that assessment for a, for a few minutes is that nested within this commandment is some of the best treasures of the Christian life. Um, there's a famous guy called A.W. Tozer, and, and you should read his books. Um, and he said uh, that what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I've said that before. Uh, this commandment tells us that what comes out of your mouth when you speak about God is the most important thing that you say. This commandment calls us to be a people who speak of the Lord's name with a tenderness and with a love and with an accuracy and with a joy that is so clear and straight from the center of who we are. That we are to treasure the Lord's name so deeply that when other people hear us speak of the, name, of the name of the Lord, they find themselves realizing very quickly that we are speaking about the one who animates our entire life. Just like we heard earlier, the, the people at Recovery House of Worship, when they speak, there's a sense of, oh, these people have tasted and seen that something's good. And that's the way we're supposed to speak of the Lord's name. We are to treasure the name of the Lord. Now, let me try to unpack this. And in order to unpack it, I want to begin with an illustration, and then we're going to come uh, back to the text. And this illustration may bring up some pain for some of us, um, um, but there's reason for it. Uh, this past week, I was talking to my brother. He gave me permission to, to use this story. Um, and he was telling me about the very first time uh, his son ever called him dad. Now, he has a number of children. He has six children. One of his sons, uh, he adopted when he was uh, eight years old. And my brother told me about the very first time he ever met uh, the little boy who would become his son. Um, my brother and his wife uh, were foster parents, and so at the time, they were just fostering, they were, they were just going to foster this little boy. They met him at a park. Uh, they, they were introduced to him, and then they uh, eventually invited him to get into the car. And uh, apparently, uh, little David, that was his name, um, said, okay, dad, and got into the car. And it struck my brother, and the reason it struck my brother is that my brother had known this uh, little boy for all of five minutes, and yet within that five minutes, uh, David had already begun to call him dad. And it struck sadness in my brother's heart. Why? Not because my brother didn't want to be called dad. It struck sadness in my brother's heart because he realized that this little boy didn't really know what that word dad meant. For little David, at that moment, it was almost an empty word for him. Because the word dad just meant caretaker, male caretaker. And he had had several of those. And so in his life, dads were something that kind of came and went and could be attached to whoever was next. Now pause and come back to, go back to the text. Look at verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, here's another way to translate it. You shall not carry the name of the Lord your God as nothingness. Or, you shall not take up the name of the Lord your God as if it were an empty thing. Don't take the name of the Lord and uh, just empty it of its meaning and fill it with whatever you want it to mean. Don't do that. 
And here's a little bit of background about that. Um, again, do you see the word Lord there? Um, it is the name for God, but a very particular name for God, a name for God that only Israel used. No other nations used this particular name for God. And it was a name for God that God uh, 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 revealed to Moses at the burning bush. We talked about this several months ago. Moses wasn't looking for God. God was looking for Moses. God engaged Moses at the burning bush. And one of the things that happened there is God said, in addition to uh, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt and liberate my people. But he also said, when you go, I want you to teach them a name for me. And my name that I want you to tell them is the Lord or Yahweh. That's my special name that's only for my special people, Israel. And the idea is that the Lord said, this name, the Lord, is supposed to be a name that binds me and my people together in intimacy and love and trust and affection. It's a name designed to facilitate a bond between Israel and God, a bond in love. Now, go back to the illustration. The word dad is supposed to be a relationship word. It doesn't, it's not just a job title. It doesn't just, it's not meant to be just male caretaker. It's not even male guardian. That doesn't get close to capturing what the word dad is meant to mean. The word dad is a word designed to bear the weight of intimacy. Do you know what I mean by that? And this is where I realize that for some of us, this will, be, this will cause pain. In fact, for all of us, this will cause some level of pain. A dad is supposed to be the guy who loved you before you were born. It's supposed to be the guy who would willingly give up his life for you without deliberation. It's supposed to be the guy who teaches you and corrects you, not because it's his duty or his job, but because he loves you and he's compelled to do it and he wouldn't do anything other than that. And so the word dad is meant to bear the weight of trust and love and affection and security. That's what it's supposed to do, which is precisely why, even as I describe it right now, for some of us, it, for some of us, it is causing pain. Because... A, some of, us, some of us don't know our fathers. And some of us had fathers who never really became a dad. And some of us have lost our dads. But if I could even, even if I could say this gently, that, that, that very pain that we feel, that at some level all of us feel, though many of us will feel it more distinctly than others, even that pain points to the weight that that word is meant to bear. Okay, back to the text. So the Lord, in the book of Exodus, gives this name to Israel because he wanted it to bear the weight of the relationship that he was building. Now, when he first rolled out this name, the Lord, to Moses and to Israel, it, it did not mean all of those things. It was basically just a title. It didn't yet bear the weight of intimacy. It was a little bit like my nephew calling my brother dad. It was perhaps appropriate, but it did not yet bear its full meaning. But then the exodus happened. We've been talking about this for months. And the Lord defeated Pharaoh in that name. And the Lord, using that name, liberates Israel out of slavery and out of 
the weight of the superpower that was oppressing him. And then the Lord, with that name, leads them into the desert. And the Lord, with that name, feeds them every single day and provides miraculous sources of water and cares for them. But it doesn't stop there. Then the Lord, bearing that name, leads them to Mount Sinai. And then it's almost like he gets down on one knee. It's as if the Lord gets down on one knee in front of Israel and says, Israel, I rescued you not just to liberate you politically, but to call you into a new kind of relationship with me. The Lord says, Israel, will you be my people? Will you be my treasured possession? Do you remember this a few weeks ago? Will you let me be not simply your creator, but will you let me be your Lord? Will you enter in this new kind of relationship that is the bond of intimacy for which you were created, but because of sin you have never been able to experience? And this time, because of all that's happened before that, that name, the Lord, began, began to bear a weight of relationship that hadn't been there before. Now, that's what happened to my nephew. Over the years that followed, uh, he was adopted into the family. And the word dad and mom began to shift in meaning. And it stopped just meaning male caretaker, and it began to really mean dad. It began to mean specifically my brother, with all of his strengths and, and faults. But, but it also, more deeply, it, it came to mean uh, this man who loved him and who would give his life for him without deliberation. It came to bear the weight of intimacy. And the more that that happened, the more my nephew was transformed and, and healed. And... Now, Emmanuel, here's what I want to tell you. Your whole Christian life is a matter of coming to learn the name of God. At the beginning, when you first become a Christian, the name of God is a little bit like a label. Um, we speak, because we're New Testament Christians, we speak of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. By the time of the New Testament, we find out that that's God's full name. But at first, those, the doctrine of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they're kind of a little bit vague and, and maybe just a little bit distant. And I might uh, officially believe that God exists. And maybe I affirm the, the creeds and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in terms of a doctrine. Um, but in the beginning, it's kind of distant. But then I begin to, so to speak, watch the Trinity, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, do things. Uh, it starts by reading the Bible, and maybe you read uh, Exodus, and you begin to see the Lord on the pages liberating Israel and, and bringing them to Mount Sinai, and, and the idea of who God is begins to take shape. That's, you're beginning to learn the Lord's name. But then, of course, you've got to go further, and you've got to see the story of Jesus, because it's when you look at Jesus that you begin to see God's full name. You watch Jesus in the Gospels coming in and touching the leper and uh, healing the broken and restoring the prostitutes and then voluntarily and willingly giving his life for me without deliberation. That's when we begin to see who the name of God really is. When you look at Jesus Christ. In fact, just kind of as a side, if you read uh, Philippians chapter 2, in the New Testament, you find out that um, it was when Jesus died and rose again 
that uh, Jesus fully earned, so to speak, the title Lord. And that's why Christians call Jesus Lord. He bears the name of God. Because when you look at his face, you see who God really is. But it doesn't even stop there. Because the more you look at Jesus, then you find out that he gives you his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes from Christ into our hearts, giving us trust for Jesus that we cannot manufacture and love for God that we cannot create. The Spirit draws us to Jesus Christ so that Jesus becomes not simply someone on a page, but someone to know and someone who has loved me into the depths of who I am. And then yet further it goes. The Holy Spirit draws us to Christ and Christ brings us to his Father. And he introduces us to his Father and he says, he's not only my Father, but now I have arranged your adoption and he is now your Father. And the Holy Spirit reaches into your soul and witnesses with your spirit that you are a child of God and you cry out instinctively, Abba, Father. Abba is Hebrew for dad, so to speak. What I'm trying to say is that this Christian life is all about coming to know the name of God. Knowing not just the label, not just enunciating the words, but living under the weight and the joy of the intimacy that that name bears. Emmanuel, you will never be free, and I will never be free until we really know God's name. And I know this brings up pain, because um, some of us, uh, when we talk about intimate, close relationships, it always brings up pain, because the relationships that should have been most safe and most intimate are very often the epicenters of our worst hurt. But once again, I say to you, even that pain speaks of the need to know the Lord's name. You will never be healed until you know the Lord's name. In my house, I sometimes tell my boys, uh, you know, my, my biggest aim as your father is to persuade you that you need a better daddy. And that Jesus gives him to you. Know his name. And so that's my question to you, Emmanuel. Do you know his name? I'm not asking which expletives you use. Though when you know his name, you will never dare use him inappropriately. Can you see why um, taking the, names, the, Lord, the Lord's name in vain is, is a problem? Can, can, can you see why? Um, the Lord says, don't, don't empty my name of meaning. Don't, don't treat my name like trash. Treasure it. Treasure my name. And all through the Bible, there are examples of how the Lord's name is misused. Um, happens in different ways. There's three big categories. Uh, the first is that people uh, sometimes use God's name, this will sound odd, in sorcery. Um, so they'll invoke God's name thinking that uh, that will allow them to manipulate the world around them. Uh, another way that's used is by corrupt religious leaders. They're called false prophets, very often in service uh, of uh, corrupt political leaders. Invoking God's name and then modifying it to serve their, the ends that they want to pursue. But then the third way is to invoke God's name and, uh, to, and make false promises. 
And in each case, it's a disaster because whenever people misuse God's name, it ends up subverting the entirety of the spiritual life. I mean, you know, as a religious leader, somebody like me who takes the name of Jesus and then uh, invokes the name of Jesus, but then modifies uh, the doctrines of Christ and doesn't hold the classical Christianity, that is a emptying the name of Jesus of its real meaning. It's taking his name in vain. And it subverts the spiritual lives of the people who come to believe in that falsehood. Heresy is always taking God's name in vain. Or a political leader that invokes God's name mainly for an applause line. It distorts the name of God. It's an offense against him. Because those in the audience who who are compelled by it and clap... It distorts their understanding of who God is, but it also distorts the understanding of the people who are offended by the way it's used. It distorts everything. Or even when we pray, and we sound really, really religious, but when we pray and we ask God for stuff, but we never seek him, all of that in different ways of emptying God's name of its value, of its meaning, of the intimacy it was meant to bear. And we need to take the warning seriously. Look back at verse 7 says, God will not hold them guiltless who take his name in vain. God takes it seriously. And, and you can look over at the gospel reading and you can see how. This is Jesus talking and he says, many will come to him on the last day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all kinds of stuff in your name? No, notice, notice, in your name? We did like miracles in your name. Aren't you impressed? Is he? He's not. Why? Because he's not impressed with tricks. And his name is not an incantation. And his name is not a tool. And his name is not a life strategy. His name is a precious gift that must bear the weight of a real relationship. And therefore, Jesus sees through it all and looks at them and says, Depart from me. I never knew you. I I never knew you. So I ask you, Emmanuel, do you know the name of God? I know you can use the word in a sentence. That's not what I mean. You're very good at sentences, you know. Do you know his name? Do you live under the weight of real intimacy with God? Is that intimacy the central reality of your life? Do you know right down into your soul that Jesus purchased you, not not just everybody, but you, with his death? Do you know the Holy Spirit drawing you to the Father? Do you, can you say that this relationship is the one that animates everything else? Do you know the name of God? And if you don't, then be honest about it. And that might be the very beginning of not taking the names of the Lord in vain. It'll change everything about you. My nephew used to be named David. And then he learned over time the real meaning of words like dad and mom. And and he began to live under the weight of that intimacy. And the day came when he wanted to change his name too. Now he goes by James. See, in this family, he got a new identity as well. And that's what happens when you learn God's name. Do do you want to know who you are? Have you been trying to figure out who you are? 
Are you sitting here th- saying, saying, I don't really care who God is. I want to know who I am. Well, if you want to know who you are, you got to know who he is. And when you know his name, he'll give you a new name. The book of Isaiah says this. The Lord says, you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall no longer be called forsaken, and your land shall no more be called desolate, but you shall be called by this name, my delight is in her. It's a pretty good name. For the Lord delights in you. That'll be your new identity when you know the name of God. And those of you who do know God's name, do you use your words to describe his name? We talk about describing the beauty of Jesus Christ. This is what we mean. Use your words to describe his beauty. And this is one of the ways that you will overcome areas of sin or idolatry or discouragement or anxiety. When you face, when you know the Lord's name and you face your own sin or idolatry or anxiety or discouragement, what do you do? You invoke the name of your God over those things. You say, Jesus Christ, I bind myself to the strong name of the Trinity. And I bring before you my guilt and my idols. I bring before you my discouragement. I bring before you the fact that right now I am walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I bring that before you and I ask you in your name to smash it all. I ask you to display before me again your name, who you are. Show me again, Lord Jesus, that you walked into the valley before I ever was born when you went upon the cross. Show me, Father, that you chose me before the foundation of the world to be adopted as your child. Show me, Spirit, that right now you are drawing me and you are certainly preserving me to the end. Show me these things and make these things real. And as the Lord answers that, prayer and as you see and taste the name of God then your idols will be thrown down and your sin will be overcome and your discouragement will become fuel for your intimacy with God Emmanuel we got to know the name of God so don't take his name in vain why would you the Lord is calling you by name to know his it will be the joy of your eternity and it starts right now Ask him to show you his name. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, Our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.